Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solution from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Hey, listen, guys, we've got another really awesome, wonderful, great show for you. Um, it's going to be very similar to all the other amazing shows. You know the outline, you know the format, like amazing, great people talk about amazing, smart things, and your life grows and grows because of it. So we have another fantastic person with a great story who is well accomplished. And I think along the way in this interview for all of you out there, you will take some some strategies and some tips, um, some lessons learned and be able to implement that into your own life personally and professionally. Hey, if you've never listened to the show before, we're so glad that you've tuned in to Solutions from the huddle powered by collaborative solutions group uh we hope that you'll subscribe and keep listening um and, and if you're a fan favorite thank you for for all your your support before we jump into our guest today and you get to learn from her uh, we start every show the same way and and that's in prayer so we want to do it this time as well so lord we ask that you bless the show uh, bless our guest our show partners everyone involved and let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, friends, today we have somebody really, really cool. She's a senior marketing executive with over 25 years of professional experience. And she's worked with uh, some really cool brands. Like maybe you've heard of Ace Hardware, Hallmark, uh, Sonic, you know, that place with the best milkshakes like on earth, Walt Disney World, some, some things you've heard of before. She has experience with those brands, with those organizations. Uh, what's really cool is She's, she's a cancer survivor, uh, and, and through her experience of, of beating and battling and fighting, uh, not just in boardrooms, but, but, uh, but even in, in her health, she has come up with this really cool company called The Bomb Box, and she's got a great website, and she's doing amazing things as the president and CEO. I'm talking about our new friend, Liz Bendit, is on the, phone, or is on the show. Liz, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. I want all of our listeners who didn't get to read your bio that don't know that you're in Kansas City, uh, Kansas City, um, that don't know about your husband and the kids and your bio says a terrible dog. I want to know about why <laughs> in the world that you wrote terrible. And I don't want any negative pet comments being emailed to our show. Send those directly <laughs> to Liz. But no, tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do and, and what got you to, uh, to sit and hang out with us today. Sure. Gosh, that's, um, let's see, born in Southern California. So in the, in the seventies, so I grew up in Southern California in the eighties. So I call myself, um, like a Valley girl, like gag me with a spoon yeah. that, that ages <laughs> me very specifically. <laughs> um, if you don't get that joke, then yeah, you're not as old as I am. Um, <laughs> It relocated to the Midwest um, after I graduated uh, from grad school to work at Hallmark, uh, where I met my husband, um, and never thought I would stay in the Midwest. Always thought I would relocate back to the West Coast, and yet here I am, and really, really happy and love living in Kansas City. It's an incredible community. We have wonderful friends and family. Um, both of my husband's and my parents live here now, so it's just, uh, we're really, really um you know, grateful that we have a really full family life. And it's been honestly for the past, especially 10 years, incredibly important that we have such 
strong uh, community and family because, as you said, for the past 10 years, I have been a working mom, um, just, you know, aggressively going after my career while also in um, every couple of years dealing with a new cancer diagnosis and it's mm. bananas I mean it's very rare <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain why I would love that answer myself um, but yeah every um, starting in um, when my daughter I age it by my kids my daughter was three and my son was one I had my first cancer diagnosis 11 months later I had my second um they were in grade school and I had my third and um just a couple of years ago I had my fourth and so I think that um the compounding experience of trying to keep all your balls in the air while concurrently dealing with you know a lot of complex health situations is um it changes you, right? Like it, it definitely yeah. changes you. And I think that over the course of those 10 years, my priorities have shifted a bit and changed. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, a lot of us have sort of experienced that as a result of the pandemic, right? Mm. You kind of realized that slowing down maybe isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, but I, the my very last cancer was breast cancer. And I was at that point, Instead of, you know, freaking out that I had cancer again, I was more just irritated and angry, right? Like, mm. this is going to be such an inconvenience. <laughs> Not like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, I know this is going to suck. All right, let's just do it, you know? And yeah. um, the so you go through all these surgeries and especially going through radiation treatment. Um, when I went in, you know, I was in my mid forties and the, um, doctors all looked at me and they're like, oh, you run half marathons and you're still working full time. And, you know, they're surrounded by a lot of elderly people that are really not well. And then mm. they get cancer and it's super hard on their bodies. Whereas they see me and I come in and I otherwise look like this to totally super healthy person. And, um, they're like, oh, you're going to, this is going to be no big deal just, you're going to come in for your appointment, zap out the radiation, go to work, no biggie. And, um, and so I went in with this attitude that it was just this going to be this like really inconvenient 7.30 AM appointment. Like, honestly, I thought the biggest inconvenience was that I wasn't going to be able to drive my kids to school and I had to find alternate <laughs> routes for them to get to school. And I, and I was not prepared for how sick I got. I wasn't prepared for um, you know, you can't see on the podcast, but I'm very fair skinned. And um, I didn't just turn red, my body, where I was being the radiation therapy um, hit turned purple, and then the skin started falling off. Um, it, it was terribly painful. I couldn't everything from like the weight of my arm um, against the side of my body was painful. So I was just constantly trying to find things to shove under my armpit that were soft, but that would kind of provide kind of like take the weight off. I just yeah. couldn't get comfortable. Um, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was, the fatigue hit me super hard. So I'm here, I am used to running, you know, getting up in the morning, exercising for an hour, running my kids to school, being in the office for 10 hours, um, running my, you know, I was still the troop leader for my daughter's Girl Scout troop. Like I had, I volunteer for a couple different organizations. Like I did plan on stopping nothing. Like I just thought, whatever, it's just going to be, you know, 30 minutes every morning. And I, I was not prepared for how hard it was going to be on my body. And I think some of it, to me, what makes it worse is not being prepared, right? So feel, and then you're in the middle of 
oh gosh, I need these things, right? So I need something, I need a pillow to separate my seatbelt from my body, right? Like, because the seatbelt was chafing against my chest and that really hurt. Um, you need aluminum-free deodorant. I needed, um, you know, a wire-free bra because not to be all TMI, but when you have breast cancer and you're getting radiation, you can't wear a normal bra. Um, so there's just any number of things, lotion, right? lotion, ice packs, like all these things that you need. And what happens is, A, I hadn't planned on any of it. I wasn't prepared for it. And then when you need it, you need it immediately. And so now Ooh. I'm paying like, you know, I am ordering a $10 ice pack off Amazon and paying, you know, $30 for overnight shipping, right? Like you're just trying to like knock out all this stuff. And then in the meantime, what, like what adds insult to injury is all these friends and family want to do something. And what they mostly do is one of two things. One, they bring a ton of food, which is great. It's super nice. Like, you know, like I don't want to disparage the casseroles and the lasagnas. Those are awesome. Um, however, there are so, we threw out so much food. I mean, it, first of all, you just can't eat it all at once. And then second of all, my family are all picky eaters and I'm allergic to everything. And it was just overall not like, it was just not the best thing to receive for us. And then the other thing that um, happens is that um, you, people bring over, especially when you have breast cancer, a bunch of pink stuff. So yeah. I have pink tote bags and hats and mugs and keychains and worry stones and socks. And I don't know, in the moment when I was in the middle of it, that stuff just frustrated me. Like, what am I going to mm. do with this pink tote bag? Like, I, I need an ice pack that won't leak through my clothes. Can you bring me that? You know? And so in that moment, I thought there has got to be a better way. Where is it's a, it's a little different, a little different yeah. than like the, the registry for kids, right? When you, yeah. you know, you're having a son or a daughter and you, you plan out the registry you, and we're all accustomed to that we go to Amazon, we click on Liz, we know that she's having the baby and here's all the stuff she wants. And we just pick one of those things. Not quite the same experience when no. you're going through cancer. No, it's so frustrating. Right. And so the, um, so that, that experience really sat in my head like there has just got to be a better way both for as a patient where's my self-care website and then for all these people spending thousands of dollars on really crappy gifts you know like it's so like why can't gifting be functional right like why can't gifts be something that you genuinely want and will need and not just something that generates a thank you note you know yeah. um so that sat in my head for a couple of years. Um, and I started kind of dinking around with a business plan about it, but it was never anything that I seriously thought about doing. Um, and I became increasingly frustrated with my nine to five job and really, really got excited about this idea behind the bomb box. And back in March, when all of a sudden we were all in quarantine and all of a sudden we had all this free time, I wrote a survey, basically just I wanted to see if all of my experiences validate, you know, were just me, right? Is it just me or is this a good business idea? And so I wrote a survey. Test, test in the market, right? Like yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. this is part of my marketing background, right? Like you got to right. kind of yeah. confirm that there's a market, right? And so I wrote a survey, you know, I, I, I ordered the, you know, the premium package on SurveyMonkey and I sent it, I posted it to my own personal social media sites and I emailed it to everyone I knew and I said, hey, could you share this? And, and there's no incentive. Like there was no like win a gift card. There was nothing. It was just, hey, help me out. I'm just really curious. And the survey went viral. And I think some of that was because it was deep quarantine. Everyone's bored out of their minds. They're like, great. Yeah, sure. I'll answer a survey. That's something to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it garnered almost um, 600 responses, which is like super, um, you know, 
valid, you know, statistically valid. And it totally validated the business idea, right? So at the end of the day, um, there were so many like interesting stats that came out of that survey. So it went down two different paths. If you've had cancer before, I had you rate kind of ideas for what might go in um, product line boxes. And if you had never had cancer, it asked whether or not you'd bought a gift for somebody with cancer. And I mean, so, so many fun stats came out of that. Like one being over 70% of adults over 18 have purchased a gift for a cancer patient in the past 18 months, like 70% of adults. It's so wow. common. Yeah. Um, and you go down and ask people, um, you know, and I ask the cancer patients, what are, you know, the, here are some things that we're contemplating putting in boxes. And so I put in everything from like really functional tools and items like ice packs and lip balm and lotion to like the things that are more what I would call kind of inspirational, like poetry books and worry stones and taking cancer tote bags. And the top performing gifts, the top performing items from cancer patients were all the things that I'd wanted too. They were all functional. It's all things that you will genuinely use, right? So it's lotions, lip balms, ice packs, um, essential oils that, you know, have some palliative effect. Things that got the absolute worst scores were kicking cancer tote bags, worry stones, um, inspirational poetry. So it's the, uh, and I think when you look for gifts for cancer patients, what you typically find are kicking cancer tote bags, right? And that's what no one wants. <laughs> like what a waste. Yeah. So, um, so that really inspired me and I was able to get a small investor and, um, I, and the moon sort of aligned for me at the same time, I was invited, um, to be an adjunct professor at university of Kansas school of business. So it gave me sort of, you know, an opportunity to work part-time while also running the bomb box. Um, and I took it. Um, so a, I'm, I'm, I'm now officially a professor Bendit, which is hilarious and super fun. Gotcha. I really enjoy that. Um, and then the, the other is that, yeah, I, um, so over the summer I quit and, um, I, and I launched the business and what was amazing was the reception it got, which was phenomenal. I mean, the Susan Komen Foundation named me a woman of action and it got an ad, you know, story in USA Today. And I mean, it, it just, it took off. And so it's been a lot of fun um, kind of taking this idea through to fruition. We're talking with Liz Bendit, uh, the the CEO, the president, the founder, the creator behind the Balm Box. You guys can check that out at the Balm B A L M B O X dot com. Really, what a wonderful creative idea uh, out of out of one's own experience. It sounds like you know, yeah. I, I I went the way, and then I asked other people if if they if they also went the way, and then I decided how to make it easier for other people to go the way. And just a, such a cool story. Did you, you mentioned that this really came to fruition within you after the 2017 breast cancer bout, Yeah. but you also, um, experienced fights before that. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think four different battles, right? So, um, again, if you guys go to the website, you get to learn all kinds of wonderful things about Liz, but melanoma, thyroid, um, basal cell, did you have similar ideas for those or was it like this fourth one stirred a creative spark in you that the first three uh, experiences maybe had not that's such a good question I think that the fourth one definitely threw me over the edge certainly when I had the skin cancers um I had the thought that 
there's got to be a better way. Um, but to be fair with the skin cancers, I mean, preventatively, there's already a lot of sun protective clothing out there and skin lotions and stuff like that. So I felt like I didn't feel as lost from a product standpoint when I was going through those cancers. Um, but no, I do think it's the compounding effect. I'm okay. I'm really, I'm rethinking your, your question. I think it's the compounding effect of having done it four times um, that made me think, good Lord, there's got to be a better way. I think if you just do it once, because certainly after my first cancer, which was melanoma, I walked out of that experience thinking, I mean, it was thinking I got lucky. Um, I mean, the melanoma was such a unique experience because, you know, here I had a mole on my thigh that my mother was nagging me about forever. Um, and she wouldn't have even seen it, but I happened to be, be at the swimming pool with her and my son was one year old and he had fallen asleep on my chest. And so I was just kind of sitting in a pool lounge with, you know, in an awkward position where she could see my upper thigh. Like it wasn't, it's just an odd, you know, I, where she was just like, I don't like the look of that mole. You need to go get it checked out. And me rolling my eyes and being like, whatever, mom. And, um, she nagged me about it for a couple of weeks until finally she like was emailing me the name and phone number of her dermatologist. So I was like, good grief. All right, fine woman, I'll go. And it turned. And so I go to the dermatologist on a Friday, the following Monday, she calls and says, it's melanoma. You need to stop what you're doing. We're going to get you into surgery before the end of the week. By Friday, I'd had surgery. I had to wait till the following Monday was the question of whether or not it had spread to the lymph nodes. And if it spread to the lymph nodes, it was one of those, well, you might have a year to live. And if it hadn't spread to the lymph nodes, then you're fine. No biggie. And it's just like this very intense 10 days, right? Like, well, maybe you're going to die. You've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home, or maybe you just, you know, need to wear more sunscreen. Like, it's just such a like bizarre either or, right? Like, and, but wow. it's, but the beauty of that experience was it's fast. I mean, it's just 10 days. Like that was it. <laughs> You know, and so in 10 days, it was just this big like whiplash whirlwind. And I became kind of crazy person with the hats and the sunscreen. And <laughs> my kids did not ever wear, I mean, they were wearing the swim shirts and like, we looked like crazy people. And although it's more common now, I'm seeing now like lots of little kids with long sleeve swimsuits. And I'm like, Goosh, where were those when my Liz, kids were babies? I, Liz, I am pasty white and I <laughs> wear turtlenecks. I wear... Uh, hats. I, I get, I get severely sunburned. So yeah, I, I do that. And we have, uh, we have two kids and one of them is kind of dark skin, dark hair, like their mom. And one's like me, yeah. which is basic, basically a fluorescent light bulb. Right. And, yeah. uh, I'm familiar and so, with the yeah, so, so one of them has to wear paint primer in order to go outside <laughs> and the yeah. other one gets to just run around. So I I'm with you on that, but uh, you know, one of the things but in that, that moment, like if you ask about that, like in that moment, it happened so fast and it was over so quickly that I just moved on. Right. I mean, you know yeah. how it is when you're at home with littles and, and I was, you know, I just started a new job and I was really happy in it and I was working full time. And I, I just kind of went back to life. Like it wasn't, that was the goal was to move back with the thyroid cancer, honestly, set me back even more because I had so many complications as a result of it. Um, I fell into this crazy category. It happens to 2% of patients um, that it's called, it became something called hypoparathyroid, which means my body doesn't process calcium like a normal human. Um, but we had to learn that one the hard way <laughs> through a couple of trips to the ER and a two week stay in the hospital. So it was, a, that was very frustrating. Um, 
as well. And I think, I think what I learned from those early cancer experiences more so than the later one was I learned to be my own advocate, right? So I learned that a lot of times we look at doctors as if they're, they're gods and they have all the answers and medicine is to a certain extent an art form. I mean, there's a lot of gray area in terms of patient care and treatment and there are pros and cons to lots of different treatment choices. And I think a lot of folks, what I see a lot of are women, especially in the breast cancer realm that just want to be told what to do. And I came across, I, I think that it's better for patients to take, um, bigger role in determining their treatment plans. I think that if you choose your treatment plan versus allowing like, you know, a medical overlord to dictate it to you, you're going to be healthier, better, more prepared coming out of it. Um, And that, so I think that was one of the big learnings I took, especially because of all the complexity that I had coming out of my, um, my thyroid cancer was to take a take a moment and look at, okay, what are the choices? What are the odds? Give me the data. What are the odds of um, a really terrible, you know, side effect versus a cancer recurrence? And let me make a, a thoughtful choice about what I'm willing to put my body through. Um, and I, I think that especially being um, considered a very young person to have cancer, you know, all of my cancers occurred, you know, it's between 30 and 40. Um, the, um, there's, I think in some ways a knee jerk reaction to trying to make sure that they treat me with absolutely every single tool available because I have so much life to live. And, um, as a result, a lot of women, I think, especially in the breast cancer world, live with some pretty shitty side effects, um, because they want to live longer. And I kind of question the value, like, I want to live well, (laughs) you know, I want to live comfortably. So I think that we all need that was what I learned through that whole process. So to me, Bombbox is in keeping with that idea, right? That like, if you are facing a cancer diagnosis or a treatment like radiation or chemo or any kind of surgery, if you go in prepared, if you go in having chosen that treatment and you go in with, you know, ready to go with a box full of the, all the the tools that you're going to need to help you feel better palliatively, I believe very fundamentally, you're going to get through it emotionally and physically more quickly and better than if you go in blind or go in Mm. just trusting the doctors. And I'm not saying doctors are bad. They're awesome. I love, I mean, I am a big, big fan (laughs) of medical research and traditional medicine, but I also am a big fan of um, making thoughtful decisions about your own healthcare. Does that make sense? Am I saying that very clearly? No, I think so. I think that's, I think that's said very well. Um, And I think it makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, one of the things that I find kind of exceptional about the human experience, um, and, and I, and, and I'm very openly a person of faith, so it's hard for me not to, to uh, draw a line from my worldview and beliefs, uh, towards my experiences. I'm I'm sure that's true for most people, but, you know, I'm not saying that it may have been God or the universe or, or Buddha or whomever's intention (laughs) that you would, that you would have cancer four times, but I, um, but I think that it's pretty unique and interesting that that it would continue to be in your way and a part of the ex, a part of the equation until until everything that you were supposed to come through it and on the other side of it with uh, was in your hands. 
meaning yeah. meaning the first and second time you maybe wouldn't have started bomb box after that fourth time not only do you come through it victorious but you come through it and now have a solution that impacts and benefits uh potentially the world that deals with this and a business that, that can can provide legacy and and yeah. all kind of significance for your family and that's pretty exciting to me to, I, to see you know, that yeah no i love that idea i mean i i like the idea of kismet right you know the um it's all meant to be that there's, but I also, it, I, these are maybe at war with each other. I think you have to take control of your destiny. And at the same time, I believe in kismet. And maybe that's a little bit antithetical to each other, but I like them both. <laughs> they work, they yeah. work together. Well, I'm just glad that it made its way to Ballbox. How did you come up with the name um, and, and the logo and all of that fun stuff? Again, uh, the B-A-L-M-B-O-X.com, the Ballbox, Liz Bendit. How did you come up with the name though? Um, I was looking at the four different cancers and nothing about what you went through or your experience or your story immediately jumps out to me about the word balm, but I'm probably just missing it. Where did it come from? <laughs> um, oh man, I went through like a whole process and then, you know, there's somewhere in the, my iPhone history is a pretty fantastic text chain between me and four girlfriends when, um, who knew that I was working on this business idea and, um, and we were brainstorming over text over like what it could be called. I mean, the original, the original idea was radiationrelief.com, but then I thought, wait a minute, this is a bigger idea than radiation alone. So it needs to be broader. And we had all sorts of ideas. And it was a combination of this like crazy text thread between me and four girlfriends and going then to, um, to GoDaddy to see what domains were available. <laughs> Um, and so some of, I will not share so what some of those earlier names that I liked a lot that uh, <laughs> where the domains were taken, um, but the bomb box kind of hit on all of those. And so I really liked the bomb box uh, because it is so broad in nature and it gives the business a lot of legs to grow. Um, so while right now the product line is entirely focused on breast cancer, I think I can see in the not too distant future where we expand outside of breast into different um, cancer types and, and kind of re redevelop, you know, any, anything. And so it could be other kinds of cancers. Um, you could go down this whole Hodgkin's lymphoma. I mean, there's, you could go down a whole different kinds of cancers. And then the other thought I had was, gosh, I bet this is similar to people that have gone through knee replacement surgery or heart surgery or whatever. So we really liked the idea of the bomb box being this all purpose, self-care and gifting for patients and yeah. for the moment it's breast cancer patients because that's where we're starting um but it gives us a big platform to grow when and that's why i liked it too yeah i like that um did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit uh, i want to uh, it sounds like you were on executive teams or part of departments relative to marketing for other brands uh, but then all of a sudden you said, well, I'm, I'm going to start my own thing. You, you didn't take this idea. I guess my point is you didn't take this to someone else and say, let me pitch something that you guys ought to start doing. You created it. Where did that come from to, to be the CEO of your own creation? It definitely was a process. So no, I did not grow up thinking I would own my own business. I, um, 
the idea of being responsible for other people's careers and <laughs> and my own as well was very daunting and not something like I wasn't the one that was like setting up you know you know lemonade stands and whatnot growing up like that wasn't me um and I and I but I think it's been a process so I started off working at really big companies um in the marketing departments like Hallmark and then I went to work at an ad agency and I really enjoyed the work at the ad agency. I did not enjoy not having control. Um, so, you know, you when you're working at an ad agency from a marketing standpoint, you don't really have much control over the product, right? I mean, you, the product is what the product is, whether it's a service or a software or a, or a physical, you know, item like a cherry lemonade. Um, but you, but you have, um, you kind of own the marketing communications element. And um, I'd been part of a lot of really awesome pitches and great collaborations with really cool brands and then some that went really sideways and um that I will not share <laughs> but um I, I those frustrated me to no end um and I really decided um to go in-house and when my son was born um that was back in 2008 and I loved working at the ad agency and I loved that work but honestly at that time I was looking for better work-life balance I think anyone that works in any kind of you know service level position whether it's you know you're a lawyer or a, you know in advertising any kind of service um it's really feast or famine right there's a lot of like really big projects that are really interesting but then you know you're working 18 hour days and I would go or there's a lot of travel involved like it hurt my heart when I would get home and my daughter was a baby and she was already in bed and all I had seen her for was for 30 minutes in the morning like that just that didn't sit well with me and I wanted more control over my um over my life. And so I went in-house to go be a vice president of marketing at a commercial finance company. And so um, that was my first taste, I think, of entrepreneurship to a certain extent. So I was working at a mid-sized business. I was on the executive leadership team. And all of a sudden, I was invited to uh, partake and be a part of everything from HR practices to building and um, insurance and other elements that go into operating a business beyond just the marketing communications. And I loved it. I loved being part of those conversations. I loved kind of having that holistic view of the business beyond just the external. Um, and, and that for me was a big turning point. And so from then on, all of the positions that I um that I took on in those next 10 years were executive leadership positions. I didn't want to give that up. Right. Like that was really, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, but it was um, not until I went through the breast cancer diagnosis that I started really thinking that maybe with now 20 something years experience that I felt confident enough that I could do it myself. So I learned, right? I spent 10 years learning marketing communications. I spent another 10 years learning business operations. And then now to the point where now I feel like, okay, I have a really good background to, to do this myself. I don't think that 20 years ago, I would have felt this confident. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I do have a few more questions. Um, and, and just to let you know, I'm going to ask questions like, uh, what were some of the big successes and maybe what were a couple of the pitfalls and mistakes that you learned through? Um, and, and then I'm going to try to twist your arm and tell us you're already twice now in the interview, you said, but I'm not going to tell you. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, 
that just makes me want to find out what the heck you're talking about. But let me let me really quickly say thank you to some of our our show partners. Every single show, we try to take just a quick moment and tell folks um, that the show would be less cool if we didn't have some really cool brands that wanted to stand alongside of us. So for all of our listeners, we encourage you to go check out team-csg.com. Take a look at the website and uh, and go to the solutions from the huddle. Uh, part of the website. So there you'll be able to find really great companies like Easy Living Technologies, Shepherd Law, Novant Health, MS Digital Solutions, and a lot of other really great brands. Click on their logos, learn about their companies, consider having them be a part of your world because we let them be a part of ours here at Solutions from the Huddle. Liz Bendit, I want to know, I want to know what was it like uh, creating what seems to be very much so of an online business? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So, so it, it doesn't look like there's brick and mortars. It is, it is no. an online direct to consumer kind mm-hmm. of business. What was it like creating one of those in the middle of the pandemic, right? I mean, the timing of that was probably pretty good. Uh, and the whole world was trying to figure out how to pivot and shift to something like that. And here you were saying, uh, well, that's, what, the heck, that's <laughs> yeah. what I've got. Um, yeah. <laughs> how did, how'd you pull that off? And, and what about the folks listening right now? I want you to think about the men and women that are listening that are saying, um, I want to start something, right? Um, how in the world do I create something from nothing? And how can I do it in a virtual ecosystem? Because maybe I do want to be home with my family, you know, or maybe yeah. I want to be able to, I want a long reach outside of my zip code. How can you so, help them? Um, well, first of all, you start with the need, right? So I, I do think that everything that I've done as part of the business model and in terms of refining the business plan has been based on market research. Like I'm a real big proponent of making sure that you don't go through time or money at anything that you can't, you know, define. I can't, de- I define my audience. I sized it. I, you know, I, I could, I, I can see that there is a business here um, that has the double whammy benefit, right, of actually genuinely providing help and support to cancer patients and their families. Um, so one is I, I defined the demand and I did a lot of research trying, you know, determining what percentage of that market would I have to reach in order to even make a profit? And it's tiny, it's infinitesimals, which makes it that much more appealing. Um, the second thing I did, um, there are some really, I did a lot of research and, you know, again, going back, I've been working at mid-sized companies for the past 10 years. So I'm already very familiar with a lot of different, you know, small to mid-sized business software solutions. And there are some fabulous ones out there. Um, it's, you do not need to know how to do HTML programming anymore to host a website, right? Like you can do it all. There's some really, really great um, templatized tools. And so I built the bomb box um, using Shopify. Um, and it is a great, right now it's turning, it is a good tool. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely have my picadillas with it, but for the most part, it is a great tool because it does a combination of the two things I need to do. One, it has um, software templates so that when you, that are very customizable. Um, so I did work with um, a web developer to kind of get the whole thing running. But even to this day, if I want to tweak something, I don't need to pay someone, you know, $120 an hour to do it. I can do it. And trust me, I have no technical skill. So if I can do it, <laughs> anyone can. Um, and um, so I, that has, so it has like this really simple templatized website. So if you just, you know, in terms of just building out a website and building out a product line, um, I got help to get it started. Um, and then from an operational day-to-day standpoint, for the most part, I can do that myself. Um, 
And then the other thing that Shopify does, um, well, there's two things that are really nice. Um, one is it has the web design element. It um, has the built-in e-transaction processing software. So if you want to, you know, obviously got to run credit cards and PayPal and all that good stuff. And so they, that's all integrated into the template. And then the other thing that was really important to me, especially since I'm my business is selling physical product, is it has inventory management in it. And so um, the other element that I was been very, very, very careful about is inventory because inventory as my dad the operations executive likes to say is cash on shelves right like you're gonna be I'm very very conscientious of how of what that inventory looks like um and so to get started we launched with the absolute minimum inventory necessary so that the total startup costs were really low and then that's allowed us to grow um, over time based on demand and over time forecasting demand has become easier and easier. I mean, I don't even, it, we only launched really in October of 2020. So, um, I still don't even have year over year to look at, but I at least have month to month now. Like I, I can definitely, I'm doing a better job of managing inventory and keeping inventory, um, trying to follow, not exactly, but close to a just in time inventory model. Um, and that has been, really helpful in terms of keeping the cash flow um, functional, you know, um, so and, and being able to um, run the business with uh, based on an initial investment, a small investment. So that that has helped enormously, right? Like it's a combination of using like smart software, then um, and then also of course again I have twenty years of experience in the in the area, and so I call on people that I know all the time for help, um, and and hiring and um, and relying very heavily on my network, um, to keep the operations afloat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like what you're saying for for folks out there taking notes. Um, understand your market, do the research. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like in addition to do the research, uh, we have to, um, we have to utilize smart technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, it sounds like we have to leverage our network. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to be really careful about the expenses, yeah. right. When we're getting started. Yeah. Cash is, I mean, one of the number one reasons that small businesses fail is that they run out of cash. And so I've been very, 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 have very hard eye on cash. I used to make fun of the CFOs I worked with about like how aggressively they would manage cash. And now I feel badly for how badly I tease them. So <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, how do you market at the most effective way? Uh, is it social media? Is it email blast? Is it, how are you leveraging being an online business in a really, really noisy ecosystem now. Like it's that's hard. what I, that's it's what I would love to I mean, know. so I, um, a couple different ways. I mean, again, this is again, 20 years of marketing experience and a good bit of that in e-commerce and online marketing has been enormously helpful. Not to mention, I also have lots of friends in um, online media that give me fantastic advice all the time. Um, test and learn, test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. I cannot repeat enough the importance of testing and learning. I test everything. There's no campaign that goes out with it with only one version. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always testing anything from keywords to creative to um, pricing to promotions, test, 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 test. And I'm learning, learning, learning. And by no means do I feel like I have like nailed it, but I think every month is getting better, right? 
I mean, if I look at my overall growth, my growth in first quarter of 21 over fourth quarter of 2020 was 15%. My growth in second quarter of 21 over first quarter was 40%. So I'm doing something right. Like I'm learning. So I think that having a focus on learning um, keeps us sharp. Who would you say are some of the strategic partnerships that you're hoping to leverage and make along the way. So, so perhaps things that things you didn't know in, in 2020, things maybe you didn't know in first quarter of 2021, but maybe now some things that you're starting to know um, that say, Hey, you know what, here's some other ways river flow streams to, uh, of yeah. revenue to my business. Yeah. So I'm just now starting to build out a wholesale sales force um, because I think that there, through again, research, 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 conversations, talking, um, have identified the opportunity to sell bomb boxes at wig shops. You know, I, women go to get measured for their um, wigs before they lose their hair in chemotherapy. So it's a great time to capture their attention. Um, so we're concurrently um, working on expanding our chemotherapy line of product while also looking to expand into wig shops and mastectomy um, bra shops. So I think that to me, like that's the next area of opportunity. I also would love to get into some hospital gift shops. Um, so that's the other area that um, I'm playing with and that is requiring us to expand our sales force. So getting in front of uh, people that are healthcare professionals um, in the, in the probably more on the administration side of hospitals who make some of the decisions based on those yeah. gift shops and, and maybe, maybe not only gift shops, but maybe uh, here's an idea. You likely after up to this point in the interview, you've likely already thought of this idea, but, but um, hospitals that send people home, with, with these things, right? So it's not necessarily something that is purchased in the gift shop, but maybe something that's included in the service of leaving yeah. with something that's worth a darn versus- I know, I would love that. Waste. I super love that idea. I think, and I've danced around it, but this isn't, so this is an area where I've strategically chosen not to go and here's why. Um, it requires, if a hospital is going to endorse at that level, then it needs to be covered by insurance and getting your product covered by insurance companies is a process that I just have no experience with, none whatsoever. So it's not to say that it's not a good idea. It's just without a partner that knows what they're doing um, and has that deep experience, I'm hesitant to invest too much time or energy into it. And so I think that that's been, we'll see if that's a good choice or not, right? Like, I don't know, because I mean, for sure, I've thought about that and I would love for that to happen, but for that to happen, I would need a different partnership, you know what I mean, to have. Yeah, so normally- Normally my coach hat doesn't come on while I'm in interview mode, but I, I would say that um, the client needs to be the hospital in that ecosystem. So no insurance, patient's not a part of it. It just needs to be something that the hospital says, this is how we service our customers and differentiate, yeah. our, differentiate ourselves from the other hospitals. We just yeah. send you home and send you home with the right stuff, not just keychains with our logo on it, right? Yeah, I know. It's a, it is interesting. I, I think it is a great idea, but like I said, that is medical sales, I think is its own area of specialty. And I just have kind of chosen, I feel like I have a far deeper, better experience in retail sales um, and can more be more creative and thoughtful and strategic 
um, and, and have more connections, right? So building yeah. on my own experience. I mean, in fact, if anything, that's another reason I've actively chosen not to sell on Amazon. Um, yeah. It's for two reasons. One, I think that that uh, degrades the brand a little and it's a premium brand and we want to keep it that way. Um, and then the second being selling on Amazon is like its own ecosystem. And I don't yeah. have a ton of experience doing that. And I just really, I don't want to cut my teeth doing that. Like, sure. No, so I think I'm trying to focus on where, where my strengths lie as a leader. It can be ex- yeah. It can be expensive, right? Trying to learn, uh, in yeah. new ecosystems that are expensive. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to close our interview out today with asking you, you know, um, what, I'm a big believer in sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And so <laughs> where have you learned as a leader, as an experienced professional, as a mother, as a, a cancer patient, as a entrepreneur in, in any or a combination of those things, right? Where mm-hmm. have you learned uh, where you go, man, I got that wrong, but almost, almost thank God I got it wrong because being wrong taught me this thing that helped propel me to the next thing, right? So maybe there's been one or two opportunities that you were highly successful. We'd love to hear that too. But maybe there's one or two where you go, you know what? Experience is a great educator and I learned to not do it that way a second time. Um, any, any opportunities that our listeners can take away and say, oh my gosh, I was just about to make that mistake. And maybe Liz has now gotten yeah, me, uh, to avoid um, that. I will. I will say, I um so back in 2016, this is post third cancer, pre-fourth, I um, was working at Lyric Opera of Kansas City as the director of marketing, loved that job, loved the people, um, did not like being paid nonprofit. <laughs> that, that was, that was kind of stinky. Um, and out of the blue, kind of got a call from a recruiter for, um, to go be a VP of marketing at, um, a manufacturing company locally. And it was exactly double what I was making. And I went and I was like, well, that's a lot of money, you know, that's, that's worth at least the conversation. And I interviewed there and could tell immediately that it was not a good fit for me, um, culturally great company, not for me. And my gut was walk away. And yet I got talked into it by a number of people in my life because of the money. And it was not a good career choice. I'll just leave it at that. It was not a good, I, I, I was the only woman on the executive management team. I was the only woman in the board meetings. Um, at the time I thought, isn't that so cool? Like I'm just, you know, paving the way. And it was rough. It was really yeah. rough. It was also a very, very, very conservative organization. And you know, it doesn't take much to look at my background to say that I'm, you know, more um, socially liberal. And it was, it was tough. Um, I didn't, I, I did not have a great experience working there. Yeah. And, and I don't even blame them. I blame me, right? Like I knew uh-huh. my gut was, this is not a good choice. And I let myself get convinced to do it because of the money. So I think that was a great learning. Like, it's just not worth it. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that insight, um, that, that yeah, I'm also just a big believer in a lot of folks run around saying, I'll never do that again. And that doesn't impress me. But when I hear people say, maybe I'll just never do it that way again, Yeah, that, yeah. that impresses me. And, and, <laughs> and I love that. So the takeaway that I heard there that I think maybe our listeners are going to get excited about is, um, 
whatever the bright, shiny thing is, right? Whether it's money or whatever it is um, to really look within ourselves because we're going to know like, hey, is this, if this doesn't feel right, we probably need to pause. Wait, we probably need to wait, yeah. maybe be still a little bit longer. Yeah. I think that there's, I think it's really hard. And I, and I especially think as a woman executive, oftentimes I do have good gut instincts and I look back and I think about like, I have good gut, my instincts are really good. And I somehow have like been um, told not to listen to that and to only focus on the data. And so the data in that decision was like, this place has got, it's a shorter commute and you have better hours and you make twice as much money and, you know, women in leadership and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and so on paper, it was a great choice, but my gut was that I would be miserable there and I wouldn't like the people and, or not, not, that's not fair. Not that I wouldn't like the people. I just wouldn't fit in. I would feel like I didn't fit in. And the truth is I didn't fit in and it wasn't their fault. It was, I shouldn't have gone right. Like it was my choice. So, and my instinct was that that was not the right choice for me. My instinct was correct. So I do think that like that, and if anything, that really led to when I had my fourth cancer diagnosis, taking a lot more control over my treatment path, because at that point I was like, you know what, like I have, how many times do I have to learn to trust my own instincts? Like I'm going to trust my own instincts um, and and make data-based decisions, but they also have to like pass the sniff test. I like it. Liz Bennett with thebalmbox.com. Make sure you guys check that out. Liz, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you, Heather, for having me. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.